unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my Welcome you to the services of the Boonville Congregation. As you can see on the board, our theme this year is Seek and Do. We're certainly uh, glad that you're here. I know that we have visitors in our audience and we welcome you. Uh, I think there were about 112 at the 830 service. And we have people joining us on social media and we welcome you as well. In our worship service today, Brother Chris Langley is going to be leading our singing. Brother J.T. Beard will have the opening prayer. Brother Guy Gardner, the scripture reading. Brother Ken Forrest will have our lesson this morning. And Brother Cameron Jumper will lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper. And then Brother Chris Beard will have our closing announcements and closing prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can assemble today to worship Thee. We love You, Father. We pray that all that we do today would be pleasing in Your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. This morning we'll start singing uh, a medley called Holy Ground. We'll sing the first song and then just go right into the next. This is holy ground. We're standing on holy ground. For the Thank you. 
thankful unto you for allowing us as your children to approach your throne of grace and mercy. Father, we are living in a country now where we have a lot of problems, a lot of trouble, a lot of anxiety, and we know, Father, that we can always trust in you. We pray, though, for those that are in leadership in, in this country, the president, the vice president, the Congress, we pray that you would be with them, help them to look into your word as they make decisions, that the decisions they make will not only be the best decisions for this country, but for the 
entire world. We're thankful, Father, to live in a country where we do have as many freedoms as, as we have. We live in the greatest nation on earth, and, and we're so thankful for the privileges and benefits we enjoy. But help us always to remember, with those privileges and benefits, all, also comes responsibility. Be with us and help us to do what we can to make sure that our country is the kind of country that you would want it to be. We have a lot of uh, sickness in our congregation, and Father, at this time we want to ask you to be with Brian Rowland, Steele Moreland, David Yates, Julie Martin, Sarah Chase. They're having a lot of health problems, and we pray that you would be with the doctors and nurses that minister unto them. Give them wisdom that they would do whatever it needs to be done that they could be returned to their normal health. We also pray, Father, for those that are taking Bible correspondence courses. We pray that you would be with all of uh, all of those, uh, be with those that are assisting in this effort. We pray that uh, you would be with them and and uh, encourage them to continue uh, in in this effort. We also know that we have a a, a COVID-19 in our midst. We know that it's difficult for school administrations, for staff, teachers, students, everyone that's involved in, in this effort. And we pray, Father, that you would be with all of them and that you would keep them safe. We uh, are thankful, Father, for the opportunity to come today to worship you. We pray that you would be with Ken as he delivers a message this morning. We pray that he might have a good recollection of those things he's prepared to say. And help us as listeners to listen in view of eternity, realizing that one day we give an account for how we've uh, lived according to your word. We're thankful for the elders and of this congregation. We know they make uh, decisions that are very difficult from time to time. We pray, Father, that you would be with them in their decision-making, that those decisions would cause the congregation here at Boonville to grow, but not only here, but that your word would be spread throughout the earth as a result of what uh, is being done here. We pray, Father, that you would go with us now as we continue in this worship service. Help us to be attentive to everything that's said. Help us to apply the things that we learned today to our lives, that we might be more pleasing in your sight. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. For those using your books, you may mark number 915. 915, trust and obey for the song of encouragement after the lesson. Before the lesson, uh, we have a new song we're going to try. Uh, this song is actually written by a brother in Christ who is actually still living. <laughs> and uh, you might have seen his videos. He's a guy that sings all four parts. But this is a very, very good song. Uh, tells us pretty much why we're all here this morning. In the moment he appears and the light from heaven shines. I will get every fear. 
chapter 6 verse 24 no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other you cannot serve God and mammon good morning everyone Thank you, Guy, for reading that text. And Chris, thank you for leading that singing. That was a beautiful song, wasn't it? I, I can't wait to go home. Can you? I just, I want to go to heaven so bad. I want this life to be behind us and moving on to something else. But while we're here, we'll make the best of it, won't we? And we will just think and ponder and dream about that home someday, I just, I just can't tell you how much I'm excited about going to be with the Lord forever and ever. Yesterday was an odd day, wasn't it? September the 11th. Some of you weren't even born when we had the attacks on American soil by terrorists. But a lot of you were here and you remember where you were, what you were doing that day. Seems like nearly every generation has that moment in their history. You know what I mean? The one that really stands out. And I understand part of the thinking, albeit short-sighted on the part of the terrorist, was that in hitting those trade center buildings that they were stabbing at the heart of capitalism. And for a time, I remember as tragic as it was, that there was also a redeeming kind of quality in it because Americans came together 
we really felt like one nation and under God. I'll never forget our lawmakers standing on the steps of the Capitol building praying together. Now, as you hear me say that, some of you who weren't here are thinking, that's impossible. But it wasn't impossible then because capitalism wasn't king at that moment. I don't think anybody cared about making a dollar. They just cared about what was right. And so much with a turn of hearts toward God. It was such a, well, it was a great time as regards that result. But it didn't take very long, did it? A stab in the heart of capitalism? What a joke. We became more capitalist-minded than ever. And as a result, people don't think about God that much anymore. In fact, really, seems like today there's more of an assault on God and those who follow God than maybe ever before. And maybe that's hyperbole. Maybe it's been like this all along. But it just seems like things change so quickly. Which means then that you and I, we need to be more dedicated to the Lord than ever before. Because the trials that come test our faith and our ability to stand with the Lord and to actually live out the things that we profess to believe. We started at least once a month a series dealing with the idea of seeking and doing. And it was hinged, as Brother Jim already indicated, from Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, that Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So Ezra prepared himself, and then he did what he learned that he was supposed to do, and then he shared that with other people so that they could do what God wanted them to do. That's the track we are on. We are right now, at least in this quarter, thinking specifically about deepening our commitment to God's purposes. And today, that's going to be brought out in the idea of a dedicated service. That's exactly what's emphasized here in our text today. And I intend for us to do some personal examination of whether or not it is true that we are dedicated to the Lord. But before we start that, let's pray together to God. Our Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this time of worship. We've already lifted you up in several ways. I pray that everything we've done has been in spirit and in truth. You know whether it was or not. I pray, Lord, that you'll be with us now as we talk about dedicating ourselves to you, what that really means, of the kind of service that we're going to offer you. And Father, I pray that you will help us that we will truly be committed as you desire us to be. Not just partly, but completely. I pray, Father, that we will offer service 
to you, the God of heaven, and they'll realize those blessings that you provide of eternal security, of an imperishable crown, and of hope beyond this life. I pray, Father, that in the very simplest ways, you will enable me to communicate those ideas and to be able to share them in such a way that this audience of people that I love so much will be able to hear it and understand it and make application. Lord, I just pray that as a church, you'll see us as people who are truly committed to you in the deepest possible way. And I pray that you'll do in us what it is you intend to do through your word today and get the results that you seek. In Jesus' name, amen. The very last part of this verse is kind of the summation of the thoughts that are in the verse. He says that you cannot serve God and mammon. The idea is you can't serve them concurrently. You can't be committed to God and committed to mammon all at the same time. God demands absolute commitment. Now, that word mammon right there, kind of an, an odd little word. In fact, when I was young, reading this verse, actually, I think the first time I read it or I heard it read, we were also like in our Bible classes studying creation and its contrast with teachings that were in the school at the time, evolution. And I remember as one example, they brought out a picture of a frozen woolly mammoth. So when I heard not serving God and mammon, mammon, I immediately thought of that woolly mammoth. So even now, when I, I hear this text read or I'm reading it myself, I think of that, that woolly mammoth. And I guess in some ways I think, well, you know, the woolly mammoth kind of represents for us, this is going to be corny, but the elephant in the room. And that is how I, how I serve God. It was corny, wasn't it? But how I serve God with all that I have. But at the same time, man, I, I'm an American, you know? Capitalism is king. All of us, we have jobs and we're making money and putting money in the bank and saving money for the rainy day or we're wanting to retire. We, we are heavily invested in things. The reason I say that is because actually that woolly mammoth, mammon, it's an Aramaic word. It's a word to represent materialism, things. Literally, and I saw it was translated here this way, literally it can be translated as riches or even money. You can't serve God and your money. You can't be committed to your God and to your money in the same ways. 
God doesn't even intend for you to sometimes be committed to one and then when you get a chance, be committed to him. God is in expectation that you are going to be committed to him 100% of the time. Which means that everything else that is of an interest to us, well, that has to be put away. My commitment, my dedication to God has to be number one if I'm truly going to be that dedicated servant of His. Today, I'm thinking about God's calling to us and the expectations that He has. And so I want us to see the contrast that this text is setting up. I'm going to try to set up for us it's a contrast between the God of heaven and we'll just call it the God of the God of riches. And that ultimately we can't be dedicated but to one of those two. Let's think first about dedication service to the God of heaven. The God of heaven provides us with eternal security. I mean, you talk about thinking of the heavenly home, thinking about what is after this. That is well within the realm of the purview of the God of heaven. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Look at that. God's all over our preservation. And so we have become the saved people of God. And as a result of that, as being children of God, we have an inheritance. And that inheritance is not like any that you'll receive on this earth. You've probably seen those memes on Facebook or maybe Pinterest or whatever your interest, but you'll see this old person, usually like with a little cane, and they're standing in front of their garage. The garage door is open, and it's just stacked box to box with stuff they've accumulated over the years. And the caption says, son, one of these days, this will be yours. Well, son's thinking, yeah, and soon as it is, it's out, right? I don't care about your stuff. In fact, Anita and I, we've got stuff piled up in our garage right now. You know what we're doing? We're thinking, you know, we're closer to the end than the beginning. Let's just start weeding some of this stuff out. Our inheritance, it's not going to be something we don't want. It's something that as spiritual-minded people, we have been building with a lifetime of service to God. It is an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, doesn't fade away, and is reserved in heaven for you. God has it protected there. 
It's not going to rust or decay. It's going to be in perfect shape. God is providing the way in this life for the riches of eternity. A spiritual minded person strives for that reward that God has set aside and has preserved. I am thankful that I serve the God of heaven and of the eternal heavenly securities that he provides. The God of heaven provides us an imperishable crown. Now, that's a statement that you'll find in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. And in that text, the imperishable crown is contrasted with the perishable crown. You know, in athletics of the time, they got one of these wreaths to put around their head, a little garland. Oh, wow, they're the winner. But, you know, a day or two and that thing starts to wither. And certainly within a week, it's really of no use. You toss it out. It's temporary. And the idea is I'm a champion today, but I'll strive for better and look to be a champion tomorrow. It's just a fleeting glory. Oh, not so with our eternal reward. It is a reward that we invest in that once we receive the crown, it is imperishable. It's a crown of glory that that will last for eternity. And think about the Apostle Paul and the commitment that he had made in his life to serving the Lord when he came to the end of his days. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and following, he says, you know, I've come to the end. I've, I've lived this full life. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, he says, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. What's that now? The righteous judge, the one who can righteously judge, the right judge, the one who is the judge of the good things. He can look at what I've put in in my life in service to him. And if it's found favorable, he will bestow upon me this crown of righteousness. Think about that. The judgment that God is making on a life that has been dedicated in service to him. The righteous judge, the right judge, the one who who views the goodness, the, the purity of the work that we have done in his name will offer up to us a a crown that is representative of that righteousness, a crown of righteousness. What child of God would not aspire to please God to such a degree that he would bestow upon them that kind of recognition? Paul says, you know what? I'm being poured out now as a drink offering and my time is now. I love it. But also think in these terms. Like the way James talks about it in James chapter 1 verse 12. He says, blessed uh, is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Watch this now. The crown, not just of righteousness in recognition of the right doing or the commitment that you've made to the Lord, but a crown of life, of eternal life, the reward of a life well lived, the abundant life that Jesus described. Or 
you think about the promises that were made in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Watch now. Be faithful until death. Even if you die as a result of your faithfulness to the Lord, you've lived a whole life in service and dedication to God, and now you've come to the end of the way. Even if you suffer death because of that, you also receive the crown of life. Be faithful until death. You'll receive the crown of life. Only, only the God of heaven provides that kind of imperishable crown of the recognition of a life well lived in service to him. This God of heaven also provides us with hope. I notice that there are several churches, maybe all the churches had this element in them, but several churches, Paul has to address a specific issue. And that is, okay, so the Lord died and he was resurrected. The church has been established, but before that could happen, he ascended to the Father. But the promise was that he was going to return. In John chapter 14, he said, I'll come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. For where I go, you know, and the way you know. I'm coming back for you. Okay, so here's this early church. And they hear these teachings. They know the Lord's going to return, but he hasn't returned yet. And now either folks are, you know, they're getting older and the prospect is they're going to die in a few years. Or maybe we've seen some brothers and sisters who have already died. And the question was, well, what's going to happen? You know, I thought the Lord was supposed to return or, or exactly. Can you describe for us what's going to happen to those who have already died? I mean, are, are we ever going to see them again? In first Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 51, there is that hope that is given by the God of heaven. Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So he says, don't you worry. One of these days, the Lord's going to return. Or if you're not alive when he returns, he's going to call you forth out of that grave. You're going to become immortal, imperishable. You are going to have victory over death. But until such time as that reality exists, then hang in there. You know, be dedicated to the Lord. Make your commitment and don't back down from it. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor's not in vain in the Lord. You have hope if you are putting your confidence and your trust in the God of heaven. But then, 
there is that alternative I wanted to speak with you about this morning. And that is what I would call the, what I would call the God of riches. The God of riches gives you exactly the opposite of what the God of heaven gives. For instance, we talked about the God of heaven and how he gives us those eternal securities. There is no eternal security given by the God of riches. Case in point is a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16. You know that story, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And by the way, isn't it interesting that Lazarus, who ultimately resides in the bosom of Abraham, who had been oppressed all of his life, who had nothing, was a beggar, is known by name. But the rich man, we don't even know his name. He was so wrapped up in his desire for riches, worldly things, of earthly conquests, that all you could basically say is, it doesn't really even matter what his name was. He's just the rich man. So identified with his riches that even in eternity, that's who he is. But you know, he finds himself in torment. Don't get the idea... I can just do this balancing act, like, you know, be spiritually minded and carnally minded all at the same time. That, that, that doesn't work. Or maybe get this idea, you know, I'll just kind of hit eternity totally balanced. For instance, Ken, you know, I, yeah, I was into the material scene. I'm accumulating stuff. That's kind of what I did. I climbed the ladder. All I cared about was me, me, me. But now, Ken, now that I've died, I lost all of that stuff. That's my punishment. And so now with God, I'm just kind of even and everything's cool. It isn't. It isn't cool. Because God requires 100% commitment in this life. That guy had no idea. He had no interest in the things of God, and he turned a blind eye to those who were suffering around him. Now he is in anguish. Paul talks about that kind of scenario that develops with people in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. It's certain that we can carry nothing out. So having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and a many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Those who desire to be rich. What's the desire to be rich? The desire, the focus, the intention, the commitment is to be rich. They may show up at church services. They may dress up in nice clothes 
and help with the services even, may lead the singing, may preach the sermon. But the desire is not that. The wholehearted desire, the ultimate goal in the life, those who desire to be rich, he says they're filled with all kinds of calamity and don't even realize it. Because what's happening to them is not on the outside. It is not an exterior effect. It's an interior one. It's a spiritual degradation of self. Wherever it is that you were, if the desire is for riches, then it will eat you from the inside out. Serving the God of this world, <laughs> that, that will not result in any eternal security. Now, when we were thinking about the God of heaven, we said, well, now there is that imperishable crown. But if you're serving the God of riches, no. It, it takes away that imperishable crown because, again, the emphasis is on the stuff and not on spiritual treasure. Again, Jesus offers a warning. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What is it that matters to me the most? Well, where's your treasure? Where are you putting your commitments? Where's your dedication? If it's to the accumulation of things, he says that is, that is a perishing thing. It's going the way of all the earth, so to speak. To the extent that just as much as we were putting things in heaven and we had hope, remember that? So too, if my trust is in material things, well, they're perishing. So there is no hope. Again, I want to kind of draw off of that scenario that I described for you that existed in the first century. Apparently, a lot of people didn't know quite exactly what was going to happen after death or whether the Lord was going to return in their time, what happens to folks who've already died. It wasn't just a fear or a concern of the Corinthian church. The church in Thessalonica had those same kinds of questions. So watch, watch this hopeful description, first of all, that's given. You serve the God of heaven. He's like, don't you, don't you worry, not one second. First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And he says, comfort one another with these words. I tell you, I'm comforted 
because I have the hope of that resurrection. I have the hope of being with the Lord forever and ever. And that's because I serve a God of hope, the God of heaven. But that's not the one we're talking about now. We're talking about that God of riches. Where's his hope? Well, happening at the exact same time as what is described there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is another event, including the Lord. Happening right at the same time. They're concurrent. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 7. There I see it, right? I'm a worldly person, but I see the Lord coming, Ken. I'm good. No, look again. Because it says that the Lord is descending from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. There is no great reunion. There is no glory and happiness and joy in heaven forever and ever. This is the annihilation, the destruction, the punishment of those who have turned their backs on God, who have committed themselves to the God of riches. I will make it as simple as I can. You can't serve but one. That service that you offer cannot be divided. Not even 90-10. You say, I'm primarily a spiritually person, but can you? I live in this society. I mean, there's a lot expected, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's okay. You have riches. Abraham had riches. He's the father of the faithful. But let me tell you something about Abraham. Abraham, who was practically, I suppose he was, richest man on the earth at the time. I have no reason to think he wasn't. He had more than anybody could ever use in a lifetime. But that man was willing to give it all up when he put his son on that altar. There was that moment that he said, I don't care. Because God says, do this, I'm doing it. His entire future was lying right there on that altar. He was ready to give it all up in service to God. Hey, you may have great riches. And God may be using you in an awesome and powerful, amazing way to accomplish His own glory and purposes. Peace, that's wonderful. There's a big difference between using those blessings to God's glory and then just accumulating blessings. What God requires of us, as He did with Abraham, is absolute and total commitment. I reference you back to our original text. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one... Now, who would that be? <laughs> That's everybody. There is no one excluded here. There are no special cases. No one can serve two masters. Nobody can do that. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else, be, else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and riches or God and money. You can't do it. The, the idea is you can't be in total service, total compliance to both at the same time. You can't do it because they are opposed to one another. They are. 
in fact, truth be known, if we love the world's things, we're enemies of God. 1 John chapter 2, 15 and following. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, love the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I want to go to heaven. I want my treasure in heaven, not here, because what's here is going to perish. And God says, I have no part in that. Or, very simple verse, James chapter 4 and verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity, an enemy. I'm an enemy of God if I'm a friend of the world. Friend meaning I'm compliant with the world. I'm in the world. I'm, I'm aspiring to worldly things. I'm a carnal person. The thing is about all that, like, you know, Sunday comes, dress up. People look at you, they say, they're dressed up for church, Christians. They see you at the restaurant. They're in their shorts and a t-shirt. They see you. You got your jacket, your tie on, or you just you just opened that thing up, get a little air, but you're still dressed up. They're Christian, Christian. What do they really know about you? All they know is what they see. In fact, when we all assemble in here, all we know is what we see of each other in this setting. So I think of a certain person, I think, a Christian, I've seen them worship. You know, I, I, I hear them sing. Christian songs. Why? I, I've got them. They're, they're good. They're, they're disciples of Jesus. What I see on the outside is not the measure of that. What's on the inside is the measure of that. Don't take God for a fool. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now that's as simple as anybody could say it. It doesn't matter what you look like, how you dress. It's who you are on the inside. And whether you are cultivating worldly things are you are cultivating spiritual things. The one who really knows is God, and he is not fooled. So don't be deceived into thinking that you can fool him, because you cannot. Here's a great example. It's found in Acts chapter 5. I would direct you to verse 4 specifically, but this is the story about Ananias and Sapphira. They got some money. Uh, some land, they sold it, they got the money, going to put it at the apostles' feet, just like, well, Barnabas had done in the previous chapter, and perhaps others, you know, we got this money, oh, we're going to help. Uh, where, where'd that money come from? Oh, we sold some land. Oh, were you, were you like Barnabas, and you sold all your land? Now, instead of saying, no, not quite like Barnabas, you know, man, we just love that Barnabas. He is, he is really self-sacrificing. Look, we can afford to do that. But we're given part of what 
what we had. I mean, we're doing what we can. Instead of being like that, they were self-serving, greedy. Yeah, did you, did you guys sell all your land? Give it to me, boy, you ought to buy that Yeah, sure did. Sure did. According to this text, Peter says, you know what? It isn't that you've lied to all of us. That really doesn't matter. Because you could get away with that. But you haven't lied to men. You have lied to God. Do not take God for a fool. God don't play like that. You remember, this is 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 is the text I would direct you to. But Samuel's got all these boys going before him, going, choose a new king. This one, nah, this one, nah. We know he eventually gets to David, who wasn't even on the scene at the time. We can't imagine David's going to be king. Eliab comes up. That's the one. He looks like a king. He's got the physical characteristics we think of as a king. God says, it's, no, not him. Man looks at the outward appearance. What does God look at? He looks at the heart. God is looking at your heart. And very simply, what he is looking to see is whether or not we are serving the God of heaven or we are serving the God of riches. What have we chosen to do? And here's the thing, you may have riches. I already told you, that, that is not, that doesn't even factor. It doesn't matter about your having riches. If you have riches, that's great. Make sure that you have the riches and the riches don't have you. Let the riches become a vehicle by which you encourage others to trust the Lord. Or you use your riches as a vehicle to maintain your trust in the Lord. But don't trust in the riches for your delivery. Maybe a simple examination of how we act around the things that we have in our possession. Maybe a few simple questions like, you know, does this come from God? Is that how I view it? Or do I think, I made this? Is it for God? You know, am I going to use this to God's glory? This just, you know, one of my creature comforts for me. Is it to be used with God? That is, in conjunction with God to some greater end? Or, or is it not? We live in a culture that makes it difficult for the Christian to truly be dedicated as he should. But it's worth it. It's worth it because the end result of that dedicated child of God, that dedicated service, is heaven. And we all want to go to heaven, don't we? I sure do. If you're a child of God and you came up out of that water, you were dedicated. You said, I'd give up anything. And maybe you did. I've heard stories touch my heart 
of what people had to give up in order to serve the Lord. And when you gave up everything, however hard that was, I'm sure you made the commitment right then. It's going to be that way from now on. But we all get distracted from time to time, and maybe you're in a huge distraction right now, if that's true. Let's make that right. If we can pray with you, we will. And the Lord will promise to forgive. And you won't have to worry about that anymore. Maybe, maybe you're not a child of God today. You need to turn away from the world because it offers you nothing. I hope I've, in a simple way, explained that to you. There's nothing lasting with a worldly way. Let go of that. Repent. Confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Walk in His way. Be buried in water. Have your sins washed away by His blood. Rise up in newness of life. Today, obey the gospel. If there's anybody who needs to respond for any reason, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, God and glory
a medley of nothing but the blood, just the first verse very slowly, and then in the cross, just a refrain, again, very slowly. If you have not had an opportunity to grab an emblem while we're singing this, you can raise your hands. One of our ushers will assist you. Take of the, the body, the body of Christ, as the old sacrifices, the lamb without spot and blemish was to be perfect, not have any bones broken, and that prophecy was fulfilled on the cross of Christ. Not a bone was broken, but his body was broken, his flesh, and all of those things he went through was for us. Let's give thanks for the bread. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, Lord, for this bread that represents Thy body. We're so thankful to be able to examine ourselves and partake of this, Lord, and pray that we'll do it in a manner well-pleasing in Thy sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to take of the cup that represents the blood, Brother Guy Garner and Brother Forrest teaming up with a lesson. And the last topic was the peace that passeth all understanding. That peace will not be possible without this blood. And we think about how precious and how great this blood is. This blood saving us and people today. And the blood also went back for all those old sacrifices back before the cross. 
and gave that perfect sacrifice for them. Let's partake, let's give thanks for the cup. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee, Lord, for this cup that represents thy blood. So thankful for the great sacrifice that was given. So thankful for that purchasing blood that, Lord, we can contact it and have a hope for home in heaven with thee. Pray, Lord, we'll partake of it, remembering what was done for us in a manner well pleasing in thy sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As many are well aware of the many different opportunities to give, we are uh, <clears throat> thankful for the blessings we've received and giving back to Him with a, as we've purposed in our heart and with thanksgiving and giving cheerfully with Him. Let's pray for how He's blessed us. Give thanks. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, Lord, for our health and our strength. So thankful for all the many blessings Thou has given us. Lord, we're so thankful for the skills and jobs that we have to earn a living, Lord. We pray that we will glorify Thee in our everyday walks. Pray, Lord, the funds that we receive, we'll use them in manners to, to help others and give back to the work in Thy kingdom. Lord, we pray that all things that we do, Lord, that Thou will always receive the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. I'd like to join with Brother Jim, welcoming everyone to our Sunday morning services, especially our visitors. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be able to attend with us again at our next service, which will be at 5 p.m. this evening. We had 185 at our 1030 service. I have just very few announcements. Uh, I need to remind everyone of the devotional at the Landmark Nursing Center. Be at 4 p.m. today. If you're willing to help, please see Jim Estes. Our Golden Circle Luncheon, set for Tuesday at 11.30 in the Annex. Uh, next Sunday, there will be an area-wide youth uh, night in Corinth. Uh, there will be a bus leaving the TAC at 4 p.m. for all 7th through 12th graders. And reminding everyone of uh, Saturday, September the 18th, Singing in the Shed. That's all the announcements I have at this time. If you would, please stand. We'll be dismissed. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity we've had to gather together. Father, unmolested and unprovoked. Father, we pray that this opportunity will continue to be available for us. Father, also we pray for those worldwide who, who are still meeting and worshiping in you in, in fear of death. Father, we pray especially that you will be with them and guide them and strengthen them. Father, we pray for each and every one of us as we know we are sinful creatures. Father, we pray that our hearts and minds will be open to the lesson that is brought before us. We will take it into our hearts and live it before Thee. Father, also at this time, we pray a special prayer for those who are sick and those who are hurting. Father, we pray that You'll be with them, also be with their caregivers, that they may return to their most wanted places in life. Also, Father, we ask you that you will be with those who have lost loved ones, especially be with the Duncan family at this time. Father, we ask you that you will go with us, guide us, and keep us always near thee. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> 